you ask people, throw away the tools you have, throw away how you build the applications and do it this new way. That's too much to ask. If you don't ask people to change, then you're more likely to succeed. And that's why Docker Slim was successful, because it allowed developers to keep what they had and get the outcomes they wanted. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. Today, I am uh, joined in the studio with Kyle Quest. He's the creator of Docker Slim and now uh, works at Slim.ai, which is helping to commercialize and, and kind of mature Docker Slim. Kyle, thanks for coming. Nice to be here. I don't just work there. I actually founded the company. So, And there's a connection there. I'll talk about it later. Happy to be here and happy to talk about Docker Slim and the, the problems it tries to solve. Awesome. You know, you're here to talk about the story of Docker Slim, but tell us first what it is so that we can kind of understand the context of the matter. So Docker Slim is about helping you develop containerized applications and take them to production. It started as a hackathon project and it focused only on what I call minifying images. And it takes uh, an image that's less than optimal and maybe more developer friendly. And it creates an image that's more production ready. It has less stuff in that container image. So the attack surface is reduced. It only contains the application and what it needs. And then it also generates additional security configurations that you can also leverage. So it saves a lot of time. It uh, allows uh, web developers or any other application developers focus more on the application side and less on the infrastructure side. And containers is one of those fundamental components in the cloud-native infrastructure uh, landscape. So so that's uh, uh, kind of fundamental. You want to focus on the application, but you have to deal with containers. And the less uh, you have to do there and know, the better it is. And it's actually, I'd say it's one of those uh, hidden problems when it comes to DevOps. There's tons of definitions of DevOps, but one of my favorites is you build it, you run it. It's awesome. It's amazing. But it also um, means that the application developers need to be infrastructure experts. And that's just not realistic. You know, it's tough to keep up with everything that's going on with web applications and the frameworks and all of that. And then you need to know about the infrastructure. That's just not realistic. And there are natural kind of hacks that emerged. The DevOps uh, engineer role, you know, that's how it appeared because there is a disconnect between that concept and reality. So they introduced people who know more about the infrastructure. But then by doing that, they introduced another problem. Now you have two different people working with the infrastructure side and the application side. People on the infrastructure side, they don't understand the application. People on the application side, they don't understand the infrastructure. And in a way, Docker Slim kind of bridges that gap. It helps you take your application and get it to production with the cloud native infrastructure you have. And right now it means containers. So in my head, I'm imagining a compression, like I would zip up a file to make it smaller, but you're pointing out that it's more than just making it smaller. That has security benefits, speed benefits. 
Yeah, we um, benchmarked a number of different parameters. For example, the startup time, the push time for images. Because if you have a fat image, it takes longer. You have more data, so you, it takes longer to push that image to your registry. And then it also takes longer to pull that image from the registry to the node where it needs to be. And there are uh, lots of details there uh, around caching and layers and all of that. But fundamentally, that is a problem, even with layers uh, and all of that. And it's even a bigger problem with uh, serverless and the tech there. And then one of the fundamental concepts in security is, uh, is the concept of attack surface. I'm a security person. I've been involved in security for more than 25 years, probably. I've done pretty much everything. And uh, it's nice to see the concept of attack surface reduction going mainstream. You know, it's awesome, but there are practical implementation challenges. It's easy to say, well... Don't put stuff you don't need in your images, like they say in the container best practices. But how do you do that? Nobody puts stuff they don't need in their containers, unless you do it for the fun of it. Usually you end up with the stuff there because you think you need it, or the application pulls it, or some other reason. So there are those practical details that, that prevent this concept from being a reality. And it's good that more people are aware of that, but there's still um, an implementation challenge there to have that as a reality. And Docker Slim actually helps you with that because it gives you the stuff that you need and eliminates the stuff you don't need. Got it. There's actually more I want to talk to you about there because people have tried to do this in other ways in the past, unikernels and other approaches to kind of remove stuff we don't need. But before we get into that, we'll come back to it. Tell us the story of how you got here. You mentioned a hackathon. Maybe is that the beginning or, or were you working on kind of related stuff before this? One of the fundamental concepts behind Docker Slim is application intelligence and, and an application-centric approach to solving these DevOps and cloud infrastructure challenges. My initial POC way back actually didn't involve containers and uh, we barely had containers back then. But the concept is universal. So if you look at a lot of the solutions that are out there, lots of popular tools, they are all pretty much infrastructure-centric for a number of reasons. One of them is, is because it's easier. Another reason is that it's just where we are in the evolution of things. So we are in the stone age of the cloud native infrastructure. And, you know, in a way, it kind of feels like application development back in the day when you built applications with assembly, not punch cards anymore, but assembly. Nobody builds applications in assembly anymore. So it's kind of in, in this early stage, lots of new things, new tools, exciting. But there's also you know, a lot of what you have to do is doing it the hard way, kind of uh, dealing with the assembly language of the cloud native infrastructure. And it, it's definitely not going to stay that way. And one of the reasons why we're there is because we're kind of focusing on the back end of, of that cloud native infrastructure tooling side where we're close to the resources and we're trying to automate that and eventually we'll evolve uh, closer to the application side. And because we're closer to the infrastructure, there is a disconnect between the infrastructure and, and the application. Like I mentioned with DevOps, you have application developers who know the applications. Then you have DevOps engineers who know the infrastructure. But there's a step in between that you need to go through. You have lots of tools on the infrastructure side, 
Terraform, other things. I'm not saying Docker Slim is like Terraform, but I'm 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 saying that Terraform is a great example of an inf- of an infrastructure centric tool. You know, it takes a long time before you can run Terraform plan, Terraform apply. You need to build all of those configurations. And like with one of my previous projects and previous companies, we uh, built a pretty advanced system from scratch, but but Terraform. It took more than a year. So that there's all this hidden work that happens, lots of manual work, lots of domain knowledge on the infrastructure side and a lot of work on the application side, reverse engineering what it actually does. So there's all this manual work and complexity that you deal with in, in this so-called stone age. And one of the reasons for it is because uh, the tooling that exists, it's more infrastructure centric and you need humans to program those tools. And those humans need to know a lot about those tools, about the infrastructure behind those tools and all of that. With Docker Slim, it piloted the, the idea of an application-centric approach. So, so what does it mean? It means that Docker Slim captures a whole bunch of information about the application, what it is, how it's structured, what it needs, how it interacts with uh, different components and the outside world. And then once it captures that information, it leverages that information to automate some of the activities that you have to do manually. For example, right now, to create optimized images, you need to manually do a lot of things. You need to pick a base image that might be smaller then you need to structure the layers in a certain way. You need to optimize the commands in your Docker file. You might need to move things around or, or do a whole bunch of other things. And that requires a lot of domain knowledge and it requires time. For example, if you use multi-stage builds, you build your application in one stage and then you copy its artifacts to another stage. But do you know what to copy? You actually don't always know what to copy. Yeah, it's, it's simple for a simple Hello World application, but for a more complicated application, you have a lot of things. And yeah, you kind of need to go and research a, a lot of things and, and things change, your application change, your dependencies change, and you have to do it manually. So by capturing that application information, that information can be leveraged to automate a lot of the manual things that happen now. And that's really the idea behind Docker Slim doing that and automating the things that had to be done manually, something that required domain knowledge about how to do it properly. So if I could try and summarize what you're saying here, we're in the, the stone age of cloud native, despite all the, the enthusiasm of cloud native, it's still early days. And that's evidenced by the fact that we're doing all this manual work. To get to building an application, we have to build all this infrastructure. You might say this is kind of low level things we're uh, stacking on top. And, and there's a lot of domain knowledge and the work that goes into that, we should be building things kind of top down, just to find the application and everything else takes care of itself. And you're saying Docker Slim is is a foray into that world. Docker Slim looks at the application, determines what's necessary and gets rid of everything else. Yes. And there is, um, uh, it's not necessarily a gotcha, but one thing to keep in mind and something that's really important is when you want to introduce something new and you change the tooling that uh, developers have and you ask people to change how you do things, what tools you use, that's going to be a difficult sell. One of the uh, examples of that is Darkling. It's this interesting concept, interesting language that allows you create these cloud-native applications. And and it's awesome. It kind of accomplishes some of the same things in a way, kind of uh, helps you as a developer not 
think about the infrastructure side, but you have to switch your languages. You have to change your tools, and that's a hard sell. So, And that's another important thing about Docker Slim is that it helps you keep the tools and the processes you have. For example, you don't need to change your base image. If you're using Debian or Ubuntu, it's okay. We'll get you that optimized image. You don't need to deal with Alpine. And some people say just use Alpine. Sounds good in theory, but in reality, lots of gotchas. If you're lucky enough that it works for you, good. But tons of problems. Kind of different, but serverless. People will say, well, we have serverless, so we don't have that problem. Well, not really the case. You still need to know about the infrastructure. I need to know about the limitations and constraints of serverless, where it works, where it doesn't work, how to configure it. So, yeah, those different interfaces to work with, even with those, you, you need to know about the infrastructure and then they lack the application context, even those higher level constructs like serverless. So, Kyle, you've done a lot of interesting things throughout your career. You you were doing a bunch of data work. I mean, you've been through Microsoft, through CrowdStrike, led companies. At what point do we start the story that feels like you're headed towards Docker Slim? Um, well, I think it started before that, and it's kind of related to the security work I've done. Like I mentioned, I've been involved in security for quite a while, more than 25 years. And one of the things I try to do over the years is uh, identifying uh, malware and attackers and, and, and observing what they do. And there are a lot of interesting techniques and tools that exist in that space. That tooling can be uh, repurposed. And that's uh, exactly what I did with Docker Slim. So there are a lot of interesting capabilities in terms of identifying what malware does, what it is, how it's structured, how it behaves. And those techniques and the knowledge you get from that uh, is useful in other ways. So it's taking those tools that are used for malware and the concepts and pointing them at your normal applications and then leveraging that tooling to capture the application information. And that's actually, you know, in Slim AI, AI stands for application intelligence, not artificial intelligence. It's that fundamental concept. And the concept started back in the day when I was doing security, a lot of security, hunting malware and trying to understand it, classify it and and all of that. And, and then eventually it evolved in a version that was uh, applied to uh, Windows and, and Windows applications, trying to identify what the applications are, their components, kind of creating an application DNA, and then leveraging that information, leveraging the application DNA information to do application backup so you could move applications and all of its dependencies. That's before containers and all of that. And another one is having a more intelligent way of identifying malware where instead of a, a blacklist, you have uh, the opposite. There's only so much you can do with those denialists or blacklists. And it's brittle because you don't know another malware comes in. And with uh, good software, whitelisting was kind of hot at that uh, point. But white 
whitelisting also the the whitelisting the traditional whitelisting doesn't work as well because it's too inflexible you have a hash for an application for an executable or for a shared object and then it may change because the application changes it gets updated all the time and and all of that so it lives and and that kind of a way of identifying uh, the good applications and and kind of the reverse uh, was brittle and and i figured you know, there must be another way to have a more flexible way to identify the good applications and the bad applications. And eventually, when when I started do, doing more um, cloud development and container development, those concepts kind of emerged again uh, because I ke- kept seeing the same problems with applications, delivering applications to production, but the application developer and the DevOps engineer problems where it took uh, weeks um, to get something to production and then maintaining the applications in production was more challenging because, again, it's constantly being updated. You need to change how you deploy things and all of that. So that concept of capturing the information about the application kind of, uh, expanded its scope and and then yeah like i mentioned the uh, the initial poc was with aws no containers whatsoever i used it to uh, automatically generate uh, aws configurations i needed for my applications uh, including security groups and policies and all of that that you have to create otherwise manually and then later on, when containers gained more traction, Docker actually had those hackathons, global hackathons. I figured, well, maybe it's a good time to uh, apply the same concept to containers. And you know, that's how the uh, initial version of Docker Slim was created, and the rest of, uh, is history. What impresses me a bit about your background, you've done some, like I said, some really cool things. And yet, you know, you were going to this kind of hackathon to work on a new project you would think somebody of your caliber wouldn't maybe have the time for hackathons, but I thought it was kind of cool that you were doing some community work. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty hands-on in general, and um, I try to uh, participate in different events and in some cases hosting events and all of that. And yeah, I'm still a big fan of doing that, and um, I plan to do a lot more of that. So you have this history of security and application-centric intelligence, and you come to this hackathon did you know you were going to work on container compression at the hackathon, or did that just happen? I did know. I planned. Uh, I prepared for it. Um, I thought, well, you know, there's going to be a hackathon. It's going to be about containers and Docker. So what could it be? And uh, it kind of naturally emerged uh, because it, it's a theme that I that, uh, kept revisiting uh, over the years with different tools and, uh, and technologies and all of that. So I figured, yeah, we need to work with containers. Creating production-ready containers was uh, too much work, too much manual work, and, and required too much expertise. And like most people, especially in 2015, weren't container experts. So it made sense. And then after the hackathon, you're excited enough about the thing you built there that you kept working on it, presumably? Yeah, because it, I literally built it for myself. So I kept working on it so I could use it more. I could use it for more applications. And I, it's still an ongoing uh, process because, uh, uh, again, I start with my needs and, and then expand to, to other use cases. And there are a lot of different applications where the flow and the, the UX side of things can be improved. For example, the initial 
goal for for Docker Slim was to optimize server applications with uh, with uh, uh, web APIs and HTTP APIs like microservices. That was the goal because that's the kind of systems I was building at the time, still building applications with um, uh, HTTP APIs and all of that. So that was the starting point, and it worked much better there. And then then kind of other use cases came up. Do you get awards? At- hackathons like is there a winner yeah so so with that hackathon docker slim got uh the first place in seattle and then it got the second place in the plumbing category and i still have the t-shirt and the sweatshirt they sent me yes yeah historical artifacts for sure and was it open source initially or when did that happen yeah yeah i mean that's the whole point of um of, of those hackathons that you know you create something open source and then um you submit a PR with your um, application, and then, yeah, it ba- barely worked when when it was submitted, and I I, I was like I, I spent probably an hour thinking about whether or not I should submit it or not because it was barely <laughs> functional. So I got that close to not submitting. Yeah, I'm so I'm so glad you did. And when do other people show up to the open source project? At, you know, what point do you find other users? Um, it, it happened over time. It, it didn't happen overnight. Docker, they, they published the um, hackathon results. So so a few people learned about the project that way. Then at some point, it was even mentioned in one of the Docker blogs way back. So it got more visibility and exposure that way. And over time, people would look for a way to slim their images and they ended up landing there. So they, they would type Docker slim and uh, they would get either pants or (laughs) the tool (laughs) and at what point did you think we should create a company here so over over the years uh, the tool got a lot more traction more people uh, were using it in ways that i didn't expect the tool to be used people and try to incorporate the tool in their ci cd pipelines try to use it for their embedded systems there was somebody trying to use docker slim to optimize images for uh, robots uh, they, they it, like it, it was kind of interesting that that they had containers in those robots but that's what they wanted to do and and there was more and more traction uh more interest people kept asking for different things and the the uh the problem resonated with a lot of people and and the approach also resonated with a lot of people the demand kept growing and the use kept growing and in addition to increase use, people would keep asking a lot more. For example, they wanted to know, well, we have these optimized images, tell me what happened, or help me integrate Docker Slim in, in my pipeline and all of that. So naturally, this uh, bigger need emerged to have a, an end-to-end solution, something that would connect uh the dots and integrate with the environments uh, developers had. So that's the the goal uh, with uh, Slim AI to take it to the next level, kind of take the core engine and build build the platform around it um, with lots of connectors. So it's kind of this fabric that helps you deliver containerized applications to production. And there's a lot of like a lot of related capabilities, for example, that are not in, in Docker Slim. Uh, but but uh, Slim AI, it's, it's kind of like Google for containers. You go in there, you can connect and 
we're not connecting to every single uh, registry type, but that's the intent. You go in there, you uh, you get access to all public registries, and then you can also connect your own private registries or uh, your authenticated accounts, and then you you can search across all of those different places. So it kind of unifies uh, all of those uh, different silos that you wouldn't be able to do with Docker Slim. So that's kind of a great example of how it kind of fits together but docker slimic powers our visibility capabilities but you know you get to visibility by uh, discovering the container images that are located in all of those registries and all of that and there's a lot more that's there uh, it'll take a while to describe every little capability now and, and there's a lot more coming as well this is the first company you started right i think i think you've you've done a lot of joining companies and, and being key kind of technical leader in early companies but is this the first one you founded there's always startups they they start with something small and a lot of times they uh, don't go too far so i've had a a number of ideas and started a few things but they they weren't as successful because it happens a lot so docker slim and uh, but slim ai it's been the most uh, successful um, project and and commercial company so that's life that's how things happen yeah it's always the last place you look when you find something (laughs) yeah you just keep trying so i mentioned unikernels a while earlier if we kind of pivot back to talking about the technology which I thought were kind of exciting in the early container days. It felt like maybe a potential evolution never really materialized, probably for obvious reasons. This seems like a more, as you said, application intelligent way of getting rid of the excess in Linux you don't need. And it's kind of related to what I talked about, uh, asking for change. Right. Unikernels is a cool concept, uh, cool tech, but it's different. It's so much different that it just didn't, kind of like with Darkling, it just didn't get the adoption that it probably deserves. And maybe it's too early. Maybe like we revisit the concept later on, it'll be easier and more natural later on. But at this point, and when it emerged initially, it was too different. It was different from the way people built applications. So you ask people, throw away the tools you have, throw away how you build the applications and do it this new way. That's too much to ask. Like with anything, tech, uh, losing weight, just don't eat this food. Well, easier said than done. It, it really, it's difficult to change. And if you don't ask people to change, then you're more likely to succeed. And that's why Docker Slim was successful, because it didn't ask people to change. It allowed developers to keep what they had and get the outcomes they wanted. And maybe that's the magic of Docker Slim. Was it obvious to you that this could be done at the beginning? I think some people would wonder, like, how do you know what you can take out and what you can leave and not hurt the application? Do you actually execute the application in order to trace all the all the dependencies that are necessary? Or or do you have a more kind of fast, intelligent ways of figuring out what's unnecessary? Yeah, so, so this is kind of the idea behind that is based on the body of work that's been done when it comes to malware and dealing with malware and and, uh, understanding that. And just like with malware, you you have opportunities to inspect the application statically. And then you, you also inspect the application dynamically. So you have static and dynamic analysis. And to have better coverage, you obviously want to combine the two. Uh, and that's, that's exactly what happens with Docker Slim. Is it perfect right now? No, 
because first of all, the algorithm is still early on and it needs to evolve. And there are certain types of analysis types that still need to be added. Uh, so it, it, it'll need to mature. And that's the whole point to be able to invest more and mature the concept, mature the algorithm and get more out of that. But the core idea there, you combine static analysis with dynamic analysis and you get that coverage that you need. You don't need perfect coverage. You need to make sure that the components that get loaded are loaded. And with some languages, it's more involved than others. In some languages, you have the concept of lazy loading, where things don't get loaded until later on. And you can pick on it. You can come up with lots of excuses that, yeah, it's not going to work. But in like in reality, there's theory. And then there is reality where things work 99.9% uh, uh, of the time. And I'm, I'm more practical and closer to reality than theory so uh, you know i stick with facts and one way to ensure that you have something that should do what you need to is tests and that's one of the things we're trying to simplify integrating your testing infrastructure with the process so that way you can run your tests before you can run your tests after you can verify that the behavior you get is what you expect and you get the same outcomes yeah, no, the, it does seem unique, right? When you when you take a malware, look at it, you, you discover new things. Yeah, for example, with uh, malware analysis, there's lots of disassembly going on. You you take apart the the, the malware and, and you slice it and dice it in many different ways. And yeah, it's it's amazing the kind of research and experiments that happen there. So yeah, leveraging uh, that is is super useful. And even on the testing side, with concepts like fuzzing, black box fuzzing, where you generate input to an application and then you observe what happens in the application and what parts of the application get triggered. And then you adjust the input to trigger other parts of the application. So th there are a lot of interesting things that, that could be leveraged. As we kind of wrap up here, Kyle, you mentioned we're in the stone age of cloud infrastructure. We need to take a more application-centric approach. And Slim is, is an early kind of foray into this what what's the next foray or, or, or are there things you're doing at slim.ai for example that that take us closer or or what what do you get excited about is another hurdle so i would uh, kind of go back to the concept of application intelligence and right now we're looking at containers but the concept of the application-centric approach and uh, application intelligence is universal. You have the same problems with Lambda and serverless. You have the same problems with IAS and, and all of that. And we're starting with containers. Containers is a fundamental part of the cloud-native infrastructure. But expanding that to other parts will be super exciting. And that will lead to an opportunity to redefine how you do DevOps. Because right now, DevOps, I mentioned that you have app developers, DevOps engineers, there's this disconnect and, and the domain knowledge you need to have in order to get something in production and all that manual work. And changing that, imagine not spending all that time creating Terraform configs or dealing with uh, Docker files or dealing with Kubernetes manifests and all of that and automating a lot of that work and, and getting the applications to production 
production faster and application developers thinking more about the applications and less about the infrastructure. They create their applications and and then the um, cloud infrastructure they need, it's either fully automatically generated or it's automated in a way that doesn't require a lot of time and a lot of domain knowledge. So kind of redefining how DevOps is done ultimately, uh, going beyond containers, applying the concept of application intelligence and the application-centric approach. That's where uh, I get excited. Totally. And I don't know if this is what you're saying, Kyle, but I'm imagining from what you're saying that take serverless and lambdas. If today I want to do serverless or lambdas, I have to go read a bunch of documentation on on the limits and and may, maybe even use kind of a different development environment that I'm used to in order to know what the, not not to exceed those limits. And and then I feel safe and I can deploy it to production, but I might have to do it in a different process than I'm used to. And you're kind of saying that maybe I get to use all my existing tools and I don't have to think I'm deploying to Lambda. I just kind of write my application and I hand it off to something that says, do you want to deploy this in a certain manner so that it's serverless and and it just does it for me? That that, that That's like a potential kind of best case future scenario. Yes, something like that, but there are a number of stepping stones uh, towards that. And also it's not a, a pure opaque abstraction where you just say, I want stuff running in serverless. It's more of a, a flexible toolkit. There's a default path, but if you want to customize, because that's where the past solutions fail. If if you look at what happened when past uh, solutions like Heroku, etc., emerged, they were exciting and all of that, but they hard coded the use cases. And like, if you fit those use cases, it's fine. But if you don't, you're out of luck. And and then eventually, you kind of outgrow that. And that's kind of what you need. You need to be able to customize that kind of higher level construct to a specific need to a specific environment at some point. So you need to be able to support it. So so something like that, where you get this default behavior, but then there's an advanced mode where you can customize and you can get to the details of that serverless deployment where you can see that, yes, it's Lambda, it's an AWS, and you can make adjustments. But the things you do there would be automated as well. So you wouldn't have to manually do them. So that's the key. Again, not replacing the tools you have, still using AWS, still using the same services there. It's just getting to a usable state faster as opposed to manually creating configs for Lambda. You get them either, you know, you start with the default or you make a few adjustments or some, you get something auto-generated and then you customize if, if necessary or something like that. But yeah, I think that's the key. You need to be able to have this uh, default but customizable in order to uh, make it work. Otherwise, it's going to be the same thing that happened with passes. It, you know, It's going to be good for a certain use case, but then there'll be limits in terms of what you can do and limits in terms of adoption because of that, because eventually you outgrow it. Like They happened in the past with, uh, with the companies I worked with, you know, used App Engine in Google, outgrew it, moved to AWS. It was super expensive, super complicated. You're helping me realize that it's one thing to imagine a future in a rosy scenario. That's one kind of form of innovative thinking. And another is to to innovate in kind of a backwards compatible, context-aware way where you can get some of the benefits of the future but still work within the context of the present. And it seems like you've struck that happy medium with Docker Slim. Like It, it still works with all your tooling, and yet you're a step closer to the future. 
Yeah, it may not be ideal, but it's practical. And I'm seeing something similar with Six Store, for example. Six Store, you have Notary, for example. It's kind of a competitor in a way when it comes to signing images. One of the examples of the same approach there is how they deal with signatures. They reuse tags for that. It's a hacky approach, but it works with the with the existing tooling, with the existing registries. You don't need new uh, capabilities in the registries. You need you don't need to change the OCI spec for the registries and all of that. And it's much easier. And that's the route that um, I chose for Docker Slim. Uh, you find a way to use the tools you have. Don't ask people to change and make it work good enough for things to work right now with what uh, you have. Awesome. We're using up our lot of time here. It's been great to have you. Anything last you wanted to say that we didn't cover? I would say if you um, never tried Docker Slim, give it a try. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. Once you install it, uh, you run Docker Slim with, uh, you know, Docker Slim build Nginx. That's the easiest uh, example to use. And then you'll see uh, what happens with your Nginx image. And then you run Nginx and you'll see it in action and you'll see before and after. Um, and, and if you want to see more, try the SaaS that we have. You know, it's available now. There's a link on the Docker Slim page and there's a link on the Slim AI page. You'll be able to do lots of cool things that... Uh, developers care about you know for example being able to diff images in a way that that looks very similar to doing prs and diffs in, in github and all of that so yeah give it a try connect registries try searching and and reach out um, and if you have ideas and if you need something or some if something doesn't work that's what i want to be able to do i want to be able to help developers with uh, their specific needs uh, you know you're building a containerized application you don't know something or you wish you could uh, do something in an automated way. Um, I want to learn about those problems and use cases. I love what you said. We actually chatted before we started recording the episode here. And I was asking Kyle, what would you want to talk about community development and this or that? And he's like, I, I don't know how to do those things. I just really like working on these problems and really like collaborating with people. There's a certain amount of authenticity I get. You're not really scheming about how to make Docker Slim a major project. You're just trying to make it work and make it work for everybody's problems and very practically oriented and people oriented. And I think that's serving you well. I'm happy to help. Like whenever somebody mentions something, I try to uh, investigate. And even if it's not related to Docker Slim, and it's kind of one battle at a time. And I want to use that as an opportunity to improve Docker Slim so, so, it, so other people don't have to go through those problems anymore. So, yeah, there's no magic solution in terms of on the community side. Yeah, I wish I had more time. And now we have more people participating and contri contributing. That, that's good. So growing the number of uh, contributions and, and that that's one of the things on my to-do list. And there's a couple of videos for Docker Slim, it's code structure and all of that. I want to do more so, so others can contribute easier and all of that. So that's one of the investment areas that I do have, making it easier to contribute. Awesome. Thanks for coming today. This has been fun. Awesome. Find today's show notes and past episodes at contributor.fyi. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, 
and this has been Contributor. <laughs>